1: All right. We're going to try this once again. Yeah, I'm still right there on that razor's edge of trying to hang on to my voice as well as my dignity. So I'm going to ask you for your uh, pardon in advance. a beg your pardon, if if you will. I'm going to be clearing my throat from time to time. There's an example of it right there. But uh, I am determined it's it's time to get back behind the mic. There is so much going on, and, and this is worthy of our attention. By the way, welcome to the show. If you are a first-time wrong thinker, I'm going to do my best not to scare you off. I talk about issues that I think matter. I try to cover topics that shed light on what's happening in the world around us, but not so much in a partisan way like rah-rah red team or rah-rah blue team. More from the standpoint <clears throat> that uh, you and I, have God given rights that we need to stand up for. And so I do everything in my power to speak the truth, as best I understand it, to share with you the best sources of information that I can find on a day to day basis. And then what you do with that information, that's up to you. I've been accused of, you know, you're just trying to brainwash people. And it's true, I am. But I'm trying to brainwash them into thinking for themselves. So if you're cool with that, we can proceed. By the way, my show is brought to you by great sponsors like Monticello College, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, and also lifesavingfood.com. I'll have more to say about each of these sponsors a little bit later on, but let's talk about the rebellion. Yes, over the weekend, I think I saw, I've I've seen different numbers, but I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,800 Southwest Airlines (laughs) flights canceled due to a combination of pilots as well as air traffic controllers walking off the job in protest of vaccine mandates. Pretty crazy stuff. And you know, the idea, now now I I want you to understand, I'm not just saying, yeah, it sucks to be a traveler, you know, it's too bad for them. I just bought airline tickets a week ago. So I I have, I have a trip ahead of me and uh, I'll be talking more about that in the days ahead. I'm actually going to be uh, traveling to meet my biological father for the first time. I'm willing to suffer inconvenience. In fact, I'll suffer some significant inconvenience if we can see some needed pushback against our mandate-happy overlords' demands, and this is one of those cases where, wow, it's, it's happening. Ron Paul has a great take on the great Southwest Airlines rebellion. This is pretty short and sweet, but man, he he gets right to the point. Ron Paul says the incredible cruelty and folly of forced vaccines finally came home to roost. The vaccine mandate backlash has been bubbling just under the surface, but now it's spilled out into the open, threatening to completely derail an already crumbling economy and to obliterate a deeply unpopular U.S. president and administration. He says seemingly out of nowhere, what appears to be a Southwest Airlines rebellion has taken flight this weekend. According to media reports, scores of pilots and other Southwest employees have coordinated the taking of sick days to use them up in advance of a Southwest Airlines mandate to get the jab or lose the job. Now over Saturday and Sunday, more than 2,000 flights have been canceled with airports experiencing full-on mayhem. The Southwest Airline Pilots Association is suing the airline over the imposed vaccine mandate, bolstering the claim that there is a sick out underway among angry Southwest pilots. And, of course, predictably, the mainstream media is doing its very best to keep a lid on the expanding rebellion against the vaccine mandates. And they're blaming the cancellations on bad weather and a lack of air traffic controllers. However, the weather problems that Southwest claims to be experiencing seem to be unique to that carrier because no other airline thus far has been reporting such weather-related cancellations. And FAA spokesperson Stephen Colm told USA Today, no FAA air traffic staffing shortages have been reported since Friday. So the question is, will other pilots, such as those at American Airlines, follow suit? Because rumors are circulating that this is just The beginning. Now, over the past few weeks, thousands of nurses, medical workers, and first responders either have quit or have been fired for refusing to receive a medical treatment that they don't want and, in many cases, don't need. The nursing shortage that Democrat politicians and mainstream media had been blaming on rising COVID cases has been, in reality, a man made disaster of historic proportions. Ron Paul just comes right out and says it. He says the nursing crisis is not caused by COVID. Cases have been in the decline have been in decline in the U.S. for weeks. This nursing crisis is caused by the firing of medical personnel who refuse to take the experimental COVID shots. Now he says the stupidity of adopting a policy of firing healthcare workers while at the same time claiming there is a raging pandemic gripping the country hasn't been lost on Americans. Biden's polling numbers have been unsurprisingly in free fall with major Democrat candidates like Virginia's Terry McAuliffe openly complaining that the deeply unpopular Biden is threatening him in a tight race for governor. And while Biden administration lackeys like Fauci are telling Americans they can't celebrate Christmas again this year, more and more of America is finished with this public health terrorism. Oh, by the way, it didn't take very long for someone to accuse the uh, <clears throat> the Southwest Airlines pilots of engaging in domestic terrorism. They're disrupting U.S. travel. That, by definition, is terrorism. Yeah. Everything's terrorism. When someone disobeys my demands, that is terrorism. I'm going to have to start using this on my kids. Guys, I just looked in the sink. There are still dishes here. This terrorism will not stand. I don't know. It, it just doesn't have the same ring. Ron Paul says, here in Texas, 100,000 unmasked Texas A&M fans poured onto the football field on Saturday after a last-minute surprise victory over Alabama. In Texas and elsewhere, the administration is losing the fear factor. And I like this optimistic note he sounds here. He says, history may record this weekend as the turning point against the Biden administration's COVID tyranny. From nurses to pilots to truckers, even to Amtrak workers, it appears that America is standing up and saying enough. Every one of our fellow citizens standing up on principle to oppose tyranny, facing the loss of their jobs and security, is owed a debt of gratitude by all who love liberty. He says, let's hope that the peaceful rebellion continues to grow. I like that idea. And I, I have no doubt that there are contingency plans that you know are being drawn up, or perhaps even being implemented as we speak. You know, to to try to f- propel people back into line. You know, to <clears throat> to coerce them to to get back on their leash. So, anything you and I can do to help uh, bolster the efforts of those who are standing firm. Look, people who are putting their jobs on the line. I mean I I'm not trying to be a negative Nelly here but look around this is not exactly the best economy that we've seen in a while The prospect of losing your job even when the economy is great is stressful it's daunting it's disruptive but to stand up with the possibility of losing your job when there is very real you know danger in being able to find employment and and for that matter to be able to afford you know, <clears throat> the basics, food and heating and so forth as the winter comes in. It's a scary time. And I guess the question that we have to answer and that I see people answering correctly by actually putting their necks on the line is, but it's worth it. It's worth it for the ability to to stand up for their freedom. You know, I've, I've commented before, and I, I don't mean to be derogatory when I say this, We have had it easy for a long time. We've ridden on the coattails of success of the greatest generation, you know, the ones who did the heavy lifting before us and and who took a lot of the hits in order for us to enjoy prosperity and and relative freedom, you know, compared to many other places around the world. We have been among the freest people that earth has ever seen. And with that uh, prosperity and with that, that blessing often comes a sense of entitlement. Come on, we all see it. But I think the time has come for us to do some heavy lifting of our own. And it's not so much a matter of you got your pitchfork, you got your torch, let's, you know, get out there and cause a ruckus. I think it comes down to something much more personal, and that is, do you know in your heart where you stand? Are you clear enough on what is important to you that you are willing to stand up? And even at at personal risk, assert your rights, claim them, use them, and defend them. I'd like to think the answer is yes, at least in, in the mind of each person who's hearing my voice right now. Well, stand up with those who are doing the standing. Show them that you've got their back. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian
1: Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Just want to give you a quick uh, overview of one of my sponsors. That would be lifesavingfood.com. Okay, this is kind of tricky for me because, look, I've been a longtime believer in food storage and self-reliance and the importance of knowing that you can take care of yourself. You're not dependent on someone else to keep food on your table or, you know, a roof over your head. I think that's that's where there's a great deal of peace of mind to be found. But I'm also <clears throat> looking around and I'm seeing the beginning of a massive breakdown in the supply chain throughout the world. And if you're getting used to the idea of, well, yeah, you know, we go into the grocery store and we notice, you know, there are more empty shelves than before or these shelves are consistently empty. At first, it was a little bit unsettling, but now it's kind of becoming normal. People are getting used to it, and they don't really, they don't really feel any sense of, ah, yeah, that's a bad thing. But I'm thinking this would be a very good time for you to click on the link that I provide in my show notes. Click on the one, lifesavingfoods.com. And just check out what they have to offer in terms of food storage programs, whether you're starting from scratch or hopefully whether you're just, you know, adding to an existing food storage program. Here's the kicker. The supplies are there right now. There is not panic. There is not super high demand. So the prices are reasonable. But you, as my listener, will get a 20% discount if you use the, the coupon code HIDE, H-Y-D-E, at checkout. On that note, we're going to move on. I'm trying to give our federal overlords the benefit of the doubt, but this this is getting harder to do, especially when those at the top of our national government seem very determined to punish all dissent against their current power grab. I saw a great article from Max Morton spelling out how working-class Americans are considered a threat to the power of their government and the security of the United States. Now, this, uh, this uh, walk-off or these sick days being taken by, America, or by uh, Southwest Airlines pilots and Amtrak and air traffic controllers, it's already been compared to domestic terrorism. I haven't heard too many people in government pick up that mantra, but you know it can't be far away. Here's what Max Morton has to say. This is an article t- titled Between America and You. He says, in present-day America, the federal government has decided that working-class Americans are a danger to the security of the United States. What can you do to protect yourself? Now, he says, I write to you in the year of your awakening. This was the year you saw the Attorney General of the United States of America, Merrick Garland, label parents domestic terrorists. Garland turned the lethal and intrusive powers of the nation's law enforcement and counterterrorism apparatus against parents whose only crime was not consenting to their children's indoctrination into ideologies that are the antithesis of the traditional American way of life. He says, I write because you know that an unarmed veteran, Ashley Babbitt, was murdered by a rogue, politically motivated Capitol police officer who will never face justice. I write because there are political prisoners being held in pretrial solitary confinement in our nation's capital for nonviolent misdemeanors. I write because your elected officials in Washington, D.C. have determined you are the greatest enemy America faces, and you must be silenced and diminished in society. And he says, and you know now, if you did not know before, that the federal security services of our country have been endowed with the authority to destroy your life. It doesn't matter if the destruction is the result of an unfortunate overreaction, It doesn't matter if it originates in a misunderstanding. Protest too loudly against woke ideology, and your life can be destroyed. Resent the people trying to take away your medical freedom? You can be labeled an extremist. Turn against the mandates of tyrants, and you will be banned from employment, health care, and education. The destroyers will rarely be held accountable. Mostly, they will receive pensions, paid appearances on mainstream cable news programs, and seats on the boards of pharmaceutical companies and defense contractors. Destruction is merely the superlative form of a dominion whose prerogatives include canceling, watchlisting, masking, beatings, humiliation, and murder. All of this is common to working-class America. All of this is over a decade old for bitter clingers of flyover America. No one is held responsible. Now, Max Morton says, look, you might recognize the paragraphs that, that I just read to you. He says, this is a modern day riff on a passage from ta Nahisi Coates' 2015 book, Between the World and Me. According to Coates, his book was conceived as a letter to his teenage son to express his profound anger at a nation which he believes refuses to prosecute police and government officials for violating the rights of young black men. How ironic that after only seven years, it now captures the current vitriol of our culture war and the corporate government tyranny of 2021. Evidently, the tables have turned since the publication of Coates' seminal work, which undoubtedly was the planned transformation that our 44th president so clearly promised. So he says, the situation traditional America faces is no secret. The persecution of dissent, Religious beliefs and traditional values is now in the open for all to see. The magnitude of the change in American culture is shocking, not from a sense of surprise as much as from the rapidity and deliberateness of it. We are overwhelmed by the radical changes in our present society. Many are having difficulty processing the totality of it. Max Morton says, When Coates wrote his letter to his son, The mainstream media was full of stories of how black parents had to warn their black sons about unwarranted harassment and arrest by law enforcement, even though they were engaging in normal, legitimate activity. And he says, well, now is the time for traditional Americans to have that same conversation with each other. In present day America, the federal government has decided that working class Americans are a danger to the security of the United States. And Max Morton says, when the U.S. government decides you are a threat, they can bring frightening powers against you in order to disrupt what they view as your threatening activity. The tactics they employ are designed to circumvent your due process rights while simultaneously intimidating, coercing, and in some cases purposely ruining your life, a method colloquially described as process as punishment. And so he asks... How can traditional Americans avoid this kind of persecution? And he says you can start by understanding how organizations like the FBI work. If you haven't paid attention to past cases like the fake Governor Whitmer kidnapping plot or read Trevor Aronson's book, The Terror Factory, then you should start there. He says it's important to understand that regardless of how you may have viewed federal law enforcement before 2020, you should be wary of it now. Because you are the target of this country's massive and deadly counterterrorism machine. Well, that ought to make us all sleep a little bit better at night, right? Max Morton says In most cases, when the FBI or other law enforcement organizations are interested in you, they use informants to get close in order to report on your activities. The FBI doesn't need probable cause or a defined reason to employ informants against you. In other words, you don't need to be engaged in or even appear to be engaged in illegal activity. Because when they use informants, they may introduce an experienced professional into your inner circle, or they may approach a friend or coworker or a family member and coerce them or offer them substantial sums of cash to report on your activities. But he says informants don't just report on your actual activities. As occurred in the fake Whitmer kidnapping plot, informants can lie in their official reports or create crimes in your presence, implicating you in something you never intended to participate in. Informants get paid by giving their law enforcement handlers the information they want to hear to bolster their cases. These government agents get promoted by making arrests and bringing cases to trial. The more flamboyant and colorful the case, well, the better the headlines and promotions. In other words, the system is built to incentivize lying, fabricating evidence, and convicting innocent people. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: This is the Brian Hyde show. This is The Brian
1: Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm sharing with you an excellent article from Max Morton. This is published in AmericanGreatness.com. Actually, it's AmGreatness.com. And it's called Between America and You. I don't know if you remember the book here from just a few years ago of a guy sitting down and saying, look, as a black man, I have to sit down and have this conversation with my boys and tell them, this is the talk, you know, you have to avoid the police and even if you're engaged in perfectly law-abiding activity, you're going to get harassed and you're going to be singled out. You're going to be targeted. It's that same concept except this is applied to working-class Americans who increasingly are being viewed by our government as, you know, a threat. Any dissenting voice is equated with extremism, terrorism, I mean, for crying out loud, why else would the Attorney General of the United States take seriously the idea that, yes, we'll get the FBI right on that about these parents speaking up at school board meetings? Because the government couldn't possibly be in the wrong on any of this. Morton says the FBI and Department of Homeland Security use a kind of checklist to build their cases with informants. And this checklist is commonly referred to as Indicators of Mobilization to Violence, or IMV. And the IMV is composed of a list of both common and less common human activities. And this could include anything from attending church, going camping, owning firearms, to traveling abroad, having relatives associated with extremist activity, or writing political manifestos like the Unabomber. He says the IMV checklist produces a score which is used to determine the danger posed by the subject under investigation. And the problem with the IMV is it mostly contains common and constitutionally protected activities, including work-related duties and recreational hobbies. He says the IMV score can be manipulated to create a justification for extremely intrusive and potentially life-ruining actions by the FBI. Actions which include physical and technical surveillance, official visits to neighbors, employers, or your children's school teachers, as well as the use of informants to attempt to steer you into a prosecutable crime or IMV-flagged activity. It can result in a person being watchlisted or even placed on a no-fly list. So consider this. A conservative citizen, combat veteran who owns a firearm, attends church, goes camping, hunts, and posts funny memes on social media that may make fun of government officials, checks the same blocks on the IMV as an Islamic extremist who attended a terrorist training camp, fought with an Islamic insurgent group in Syria, regularly attends an extremist mosque, and posts jihadi suicide bomber videos on Telegram. Now that the upset parents of schoolchildren and vaccine-hesitant minorities are being targeted by the FBI as domestic terrorists... Max Morton says it's worth taking some time to learn about this emerging threat to your liberty. For years, Americans wrongly assumed that the word terrorist referred to Al-Qaeda or crazy white-robed fringe weirdos. Well, those days are over. The Patriot Act, the surveillance state, and the weaponized agencies of federal law enforcement and justice are now focused squarely on traditional Americans. So to protect yourself, your family, and your community... He says it's critical to organize and build support networks. Keep your activities political and focus on fixing what's broken. No matter how frustrated you get, don't talk trash or violence. Because the walls have ears. And most importantly, do not participate in or support the FBI's so-called counterterrorism actions against your fellow citizens. If you see something or hear something about government agents stalking a fellow citizen, speak up to those concerned. You have rights only as long as you are willing to stand for them. You can survive this only as long as you are not isolated. The moment you become obedient, alone, and quiet is the moment you stop being a free American. I know there are people who probably are inclined to say, Yeah, well, maybe if that day ever comes. But I think the day is here. And I don't say that to be sensational and to, you know, to to blow this out of proportion. This is the time to be really, really careful. And people who suggest, well, maybe we ought to do this illegal activity or that illegal activity. If it's not somebody you know well and have known for years, get far away from that person. They're glowing, as in they are a government informant, most likely. Let me shift gears here for just a moment. Um, Speaking of, uh, you know, government getting a little more involved in your life, keeping tabs on you. Isn't it ironic that uh, we have politicians throwing around trillions of dollars in spending? And yet, with all of that uh, wanton spending and with all of these incredible bills where they're bailing out their friends and bestowing favors on their, their favorite constituencies, now we hear that the IRS is very interested and is telling banks, we need to know any time someone does a transaction greater than $600. This is a huge invasion of your personal privacy, and it leads us to a discussion on the future of direct taxation. Jeff Thomas, writing for Internation, International Man, starts with a picture of a robber pointing a gun in your face. It's a masked robber, gun in your face, in the hand, give me your money. And he says, this image above may be considered by some as unfair, as it suggests that taxation is a form of robbery. So he says, well, let's check the dictionary for a definition. Robbery is defined as taking away of goods or property by force or intimidation. Well, that certainly fits the bill. Of course, Inland Revenue or the IRS or CRA, etc., depending on where you're from, would say, well, it's not robbery if it's lawful. But he says, as I see it, the fact that a law has been passed to allow robbery does not change it from being robbery. It's merely institutionalized robbery. Now, academics may say, well, we elect representatives to run the central government, and those representatives are then entrusted to pass the laws, which we must then meekly follow. But again, this argument doesn't hold water for me, as these individuals may have been elected, but they most certainly do not represent me if they pass a law that says it's okay for them to rob me. No government has ever asked me for permission to take my money simply because they want it, and I have never given it. And if there's any question as to whether the above definition is correct, he says, I'd be happy to put that to the test. The Internet makes possible individualized referendum. If we were all to be questioned as to whether we wish to be taxed, we could easily decide on an individual basis, and I'm guessing it wouldn't, that I wouldn't be alone if I were to say, no, thank you. But he says, to be fair, I do approve of taxation, but only indirect taxation. In other words, taxation based on consumption, which he says is lawful in his own country, the Cayman Islands. And He says, and I receive good value for money. Now, many would say that it's impossible to operate any government without direct taxation, but that's not the case. He says, in the UK, income tax was initiated in 1799 to pay for the Napoleonic Wars, and the tax never went away. In Canada, income tax was initiated in 1917 to pay for World War I, and the tax never went away. In the U.S., income tax was initiated in 1913 as a means to compensate for lost revenue due to recently decreased tariffs, clever, and the tax never went away. So in most of the world, taxation is regarded as an imposition, and it's considered understandable that nobody really wants to pay a tax. The U.S. government promotes a rather different view, that the payment of tax is a patriotic duty In the U.S., a tax amount can be demanded, and the onus of proof is on the citizen as to whether the IRS demand is correct. In other words, you're guilty until proven innocent. But in most all countries, payment of tax is described by governments as voluntary, as citizens file their tax forms, pay their income tax, and then hope for the best. In other words, the government doesn't actually break down your door and take away what they have decided is the right amount. In the U.S. today, though, through civil uh, forfeiture, billions of dollars in money and goods have been taken from citizens without even necessarily charging the citizen with a crime. But at present, tax collection is still handled voluntarily. But he asks the question, is income tax essential to keep a government alive or is it possibly only essential for those countries that conduct wars? Well, a part of the answer comes in the fact that the income tax is so commonly justified as repayment of war debt. Presumably, if the political leaders had not engaged in war, they never would have had to introduce income tax to pay for the war. Certainly, the U.S. and Canada went through their greatest historical expansion periods, meaning the last part of the 19th century, and the Industrial Revolution without direct taxation. This is a good place for us to pump the brakes. We're going to come back to Jeff Thomas' article. i got to warn you, though, when he describes what this uh, $600 reporting requirement really is prepping us for, it's pretty chilling. And it should get your blood pressure up just a notch or two. We'll be back in just a few moments.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian
1: Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm sharing with you an article here from Jeff Thomas from International Man, The Future of Direct Taxation. I wish I could tell you it was good news. (laughs) It's not great news, but... We'll get back to the article in just a moment. A quick shout-out here to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, located at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George, Utah. This is the organization I would encourage you to get a hold of if you are looking to secure a mortgage anywhere in the state of Utah. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender, and you can call her at 435 703 Forty-five twenty-two. Bottom line is if you need to get a loan without delay. Heather has the clout. She has the decades of experience to make it happen. That's the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. There's even a link to her email in the show notes at the Brian Hyde show.com All right, back to Jeff Thomas's article. <clears throat> he asks the question of, is income tax essential to keep a government alive? And points out that in his own country, and I'm not sure which country is his. I'm, I'm not sure if it's uh, if it's uh, Great Britain or what. But he says in its 500 year history, his country. No, maybe that maybe that's that's got that's got to be somebody other than England. Anyway, and he says in my my own country in its 500 year history has never declared war on another country and has never had direct taxation of any kind. That's right. He's in the Cayman Islands. Okay, so let's repeat that. It has never had income tax, corporate tax, capital gains tax, inheritance tax, or even value-added taxes, property tax, or sales tax in all of its history. He says, most of our tax revenue comes from company fees and consumption tax. Now, of course, this means that our government is limited in how big and powerful it can become. But that's something we look upon as highly positive, as a highly positive byproduct. Indeed, the lack of direct taxation is regarded as an insurance policy against the creation of an overly powerful government. So what can we expect to see regarding the future of direct taxation? Well, he says, for a start, several of the jurisdictions in what was once called the free world, notably the EU, U.S. and Canada, have passed bail-in legislation. That is legislation that allows banks to confiscate deposits should the banks decide that an emergency exists. The depositor would have no rights, no recourse. The bank right now can simply rob you of your deposits with the full approval of the government. To this is added a bank policy that's popping up all over the world, which is restrictions on the size of transactions you're allowed to make with your own money. The higher the transaction amount, the more suspect you are of being involved in criminal and or terrorist acts which they then have to report to the authorities. And to add insult to injury, some countries, having established limits, have already begun lowering them, and this trend is establishing the banks as a regulating body, deciding what you may or may not do monetarily. Now, a third element in this trend has not yet been put in place, but it is in the planning stage. That's the elimination of paper currency. The plan is to force all wealth into banks where they can control it, then eliminate the use of paper currency. Paper currency is currently being blamed being blamed for the source of funding for terrorism, so anybody who objects to the elimination of its use can plan on becoming a suspected terrorist terrorist rather. <clears throat> Jeff Thomas says once all three components have been achieved, people in these jurisdictions will only be able to make monetary transactions through a bank. There will be no mattress stuffing, no purchases or sales or other forms of wealth unless they're considered acceptable to banks and governmental authorities. And finally, there will be the subject of taxation. Once all the wealth is trapped in the banking system, direct involuntary taxation can begin. Since your government will have a record of every financial transaction that you've made during the year, they can unilaterally decide what you owe in tax and take it as a direct debit from your account. And they'll certainly provide you with the right to appeal if you can afford the appeal process and you're feeling lucky. Now, on the bright side, annual tax filing will be a thing of the past. Individuals will not need to file. Tax debits can be made more frequently, perhaps quarterly, maybe even monthly. Should tax rates rise dramatically due to, say, war, which is certainly in the cards? The depositor will have little choice other than to watch the robbery take place on a regular basis. And again, those who object may find themselves being investigated for terrorism. Now, throughout history, those who have believed they've been overtaxed have had but three choices. The first is simply accept enslavement to the government. The second is a revolt of one form or another. The third has always been to move your wealth, however large or small, to a better jurisdiction, one where the government has a long reputation for stability and respect for the rights of personal ownership. Sadly, much of the formerly free world is heading in the exact opposite direction, and he says the reader may wish to consider whether he wishes to exit his wealth from his present country of residence before the door has been firmly shut. In other words, uh, by doing so, <laughs> you're you're going to be protecting what you have left. And you may give thought to expatriating yourself to one of the more freer, more promising jurisdictions. I'll have a link to this in the show notes at com. One final note here, and this is kind of a positive one from Paul Rosenberg, The Beauty and Dignity of the Productive Class. I strongly recommend Paul Rosenberg's essays. This guy just has a great take on about everything. And he says, you know, he was watching one time, uh, he watched a, a guy setting up for an event. And he says, what I saw was a lone man setting up tables and chairs, simple work, the kind that any teenager could do. But he says, as I watched this man do what he was doing, it was every bit as beautiful as a dance. He moved with integrity, with precision, with intent, carefully spaced the tables in a precise geometry. He moved every chair with efficiency. This was more than just work. It was art. His point is this guy knew that he was doing his job well. And most importantly, it was clear he enjoyed doing it well. And the point here that Paul Rosenberg is making is that there is real beauty in doing a job well, even if it's a simple job. And it's our great loss that this form of beauty is never mentioned in public these days. Double sad because at one time such beauty was acknowledged. Which brings us to an obvious question. What happened? How did we lose the beauty and dignity of work? He says, well, I'm going to answer that in a moment. But first, I want to explain what I mean by the productive class. He says the productive class includes all those people who are engaged in improving life upon earth. That would be the people who build and repair our cars, our houses, and our computers. The people who provide us with air conditioning, electricity, plumbing, and food. The people who make, clean, and repair our clothing. The people who treat our sicknesses and wounds. If you can drive around town and point out places where you repaired things or delivered things or fed people or made human life better in any of a thousand ways, you are are a producer. If you survive and persist at the expense of others, on the other hand, you're not a producer. But he says, if you are a producer, there's inherent dignity in what you do. You are actively making the world better. You're directly creating benefit for yourself and other human beings. What you do every day is morally virtuous and worthy of respect, and you should never let anyone tell you otherwise. And he says, it's also worth pointing out, money is not a measure of your worth. In a perfect world, that might be true, but this isn't a perfect world. In our time, morality and money don't always travel together. Money is certainly useful, and getting it should matter to you, but merely having money is no measure of your dignity or your value as a producer. Actively improving the world, however, producing, that is a proper measure of dignity. Now he asked, how were the beauty and dignity of work ruined? And the short answer is, they were killed by hierarchy and status because we've been taught to accept, respect, and respond to hierarchy for years. That's why we we respond to images of kings and great leaders and so on. But he says, uh, there was a time when millions of people accepted deathly boring jobs simply for better pay. The meaning of their work became a paycheck and nothing more. And in the industrial setting, there was one clear marker of status, and that was the position of ordering other people around. Bosses got status, workers got checks, both lost meaning and satisfaction from their work. And it gave us this attitude. Only people who order others around matter. Everybody else should feel ashamed in their presence. Well, Paul Rosenberg says, look, productive work is the insertion of creativity into the world. It's the birthing of benefit into the world. And he says people who do this should be deeply satisfied by what they do. He says, if you're a member of the, the productive class, you should rearrange your mind and stop responding to the demands of hierarchy and status. Pay attention to the things that actually improve human life in the world. Because compared to productive work, he says, status is merely ornamental puffery. A shiny coat with the word important emblazed upon it and worn by a sad little man. What a great essay. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Check out the show notes at the Brian Hyde show.com. This is the Brian Hyde Show.